is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in L.A. We've been hearing a lot about breakthrough cases, you know, people who've been fully vaccinated but get COVID anyway. Sounds scary to hear about so many of these, but how worried should you actually be? We will try to clear up the confusion. And who's responsible for that confusion? We'll get into the messaging behind the vaccines. Vaccination rate for black Americans much lower than whites and other groups. We'll look into how to boost those numbers. The courts could soon decide whether kids have to wear masks in schools across California. But we start with clearing up the confusion over the breakthrough cases. Barbara Ferrer is the public health director for Los Angeles County. Uh, when some people hear about these, they think the vaccines aren't working, right? Breakthrough. It's kind of like there's been a failure. Um, so maybe a group of them who aren't vaccinated just go on thinking it's, it's pointless to even get the shot. Yeah, you know, thanks so much. And and we too have heard, you know, about the confusion. Uh, You know, I want to just take us back to when these vaccines were first approved. And uh, what was most hopeful about these vaccines was how effective they were at preventing people from getting seriously ill and preventing people from dying. And that's what we knew as a result of the clinical trials. And that was enough evidence uh, to actually make it possible for the FDA to go ahead give emergency use authorization because these vaccines were going to be uh, for sure a way for us to avoid having lots and lots of people in the hospital with serious illness. And most impressively, they were going to cut down on the number of people that died. And and frankly, even with the Delta variant, that has not changed. Um, So we have a more Infectious variant makes it much easier for everyone to get infected, uh, particularly if you're not vaccinated. But what hasn't changed is how effective these vaccines are at preventing people from ending up in the hospital and ending up passing away. And that's the, the vaccines important part. Have yeah. never, right. That's, that's super important for all of us. I mean, most of us who got vaccinated early on, that's all that we knew about the effectiveness of the vaccines. It turns out, and this is really an added bonus, uh, that all three vaccines also are good at preventing us from getting infected in the first place. And if we don't get infected, that means they're very good at preventing us from passing on uh, COVID infection to somebody else. But they're not perfect. They're not perfect at preventing deaths. They're not perfect at preventing people from ending up in the hospitals, although the numbers are well into the 90, 90 percentiles of how much protection you're getting. Uh, And they're not perfect at preventing us from getting infected. Uh, They've always, always, from the very beginning, there always have been people who have been fully vaccinated who have ended up uh, getting infected. A very small number have ended up in the hospital and an even smaller number have ended up passing away. Um, So it it really isn't like the vaccines all of a sudden uh, are, are not good. Uh, they're very, very good. And even with the data that shows that they don't protect all of us from getting infected, they protect the vast majority of us who are vaccinated from getting infected. Yeah, it's the it's the, the it's the seatbelt example, right? Just because, you it know, somebody who got in the car accident while wearing the seatbelt doesn't mean the seatbelt is useless. And nobody ever said that uh, exactly. this thing wouldn't land on my nose and I would breathe it in. Yeah. It, it happens. Yeah. That's life. Exactly. And, and, you know, we also like to say, you know, one reason uh, why we're seeing more what we call 
post-vaccination infections, these are infections amongst people that are fully vaccinated, is let's say you're fully vaccinated and you're in a room with 50 people. You're fully vaccinated. The other 49 people around you are not. Before we had the Delta variant, remember when community transmission was super low here, maybe out of those 50 people, there'd be one or two unvaccinated people who were infected and capable of spreading. You as a fully vaccinated person, your chances of being in close contact with those two people, one or two people was not so good. Uh, you had a lot of uh, possibility of completely avoiding any exposure at all, no less having that exposure result in an infection. No. Okay, now so let's put you back in the same room. And out of those 49 right. people, now you've got 30 of them that are infected. Well, your chances of a person who's fully vaccinated just went up in terms of your exposure. Yeah, my immune system is being tested all, <laughs> right. all more. So, yeah. But to go back to this breakthrough thing, because, you know, words matter, of course, and, and the way people interpret words and experts such as yourself use breakthrough with the full understanding of what it means. Unfortunately, lay people hear it the way they hear it, which is, again, I think, equated with failure. Is there perhaps a better way to get this message out? that the vaccines are effective and the cases that we do see, the rare cases that we see among the unvaccinated are just that, maybe a different word or a different way of doing it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, we try not to use the word breakthrough. As I noted, we try to use post-vaccination infections, which is really what they are. Because the truth is a post-vaccination infection that results in either no symptoms or very mild illness, that's uh, because the vaccine's effective, right? I mean, the most important thing we all want to have is we don't want to get really sick and we don't want to end up in the hospital and we certainly don't want to die. So that's why I like to think of it as really it's a post-vaccination infection. It's really not necessarily a failure, even if you get infected, because, you know, almost everyone who gets infected after vaccination is is having very mild illness. Yeah, and a mild illness is something I can write out. Um, let's talk mandates in the time we have you left. Health departments in the Bay Area, three or four of them, all got together. They called on the employers there, urged them to say, hey, tell your employees that you got to have a shot to come in here. Are we going to be on that road? And, and why aren't we there already? If if people aren't getting these vaccines and if this is the possible answer, you got to say you have to have them if you want to if you want to have this job, if you want to go to the restaurant. You know, I, 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 um, I applaud, you know, obviously all the health departments that are working so hard to figure out, you know, what are our best strategies for going ahead and really, you know, dampening uh, this community spread that we're seeing. Uh, and I agree uh, that requiring vaccinations among some people uh, is a place that we're all going to end up being once the FDA gives full approval. This will be a particularly important in those settings where you have workers uh, that could expose very vulnerable people uh, to this devastating illness. So we're going to talk about our healthcare facilities, our shelters, congregate living sites, uh, as places where once there is this full approval, uh, we would be working again with the industry on what is the best way for us to really protect everybody in these settings where you have a lot of very high risk folks for getting serious illness and disease. Um, I do wanna note that um, the idea of, you know, mandating vaccines um, is not new. And that in fact, you know, we have a long history in this country of mandating vaccines, particularly for children. 
and at other times during uh, pandemics or epidemics where we've had a lot of serious disease that's been, um, that's been circulating. Um, we wanna work really carefully between now and the time the FDA approves these vaccines of uh, full approval, because they have approval now, but for the full approval, we wanna work really hard to build confidence in the vaccines uh, because we want everyone to feel like those of us who have gotten vaccinated feel. We want to feel like this is a good choice uh, that I'm making. It protects me, it protects the people I love, it protects my community. Uh, so we're very focused here in LA County over the next few weeks of really making sure that we're building that confidence among our residents and among our workers. Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Public Health Director for LA County. Doctor, thanks for being with us. People hear so many different things about the vaccines, which is likely one reason why millions of people have not gotten vaccinated yet. Right, as we were just discussing, if the vaccinated people are going to get sick, why bother, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Does the messaging need to change to better reflect what we've been saying here? Dr. Michael Sag, infectious disease physician, HIV AIDS researcher, associate dean of global health, University of Alabama. So, doctor, why can't we figure out how to better market these things? Well, I share your frustration, and I couldn't agree more that we're failing pretty miserably. I mean, to me, the ultimate vaccine failure is people failing to get the vaccination. And those are the folks who are getting infected and dying, dying with this. And those are all preventable deaths. Uh, You know that 18,000 deaths in the United States in May, 17,850 of those deaths were on unvaccinated people. 150 were in people who had been fully vaccinated, but those are people who are immunocompromised and had some either solid organ transplant or on immunomodulators for either bowel disease or skin or rheumatologic diseases. So the breakthrough infections, of course, are going to happen. No one said this vaccine was perfect. And for the vast majority of people who have been fully vaccinated and happen to get infected and they do develop symptoms, they're mild and short-lived. In contrast, those who get the infection who are not vaccinated have much more severe disease, and those are the folks who are ending up in the ICU and are dying in the hospitals right now. Does it make it all the more frustrating that we're at a place where the shots are so good, like the efficacy is so high? Because a good vaccine, quote unquote, can be like 50 or 60 percent. And even in the early days, that's what people were hoping for. I hope we can get this over 50 percent, right? So they came out at 90 plus. Even a not so great vaccine can make a huge dent in things if you take them, if you get everybody to take the vaccine. So we've got something that's 90 and people still won't take it. That must be well, frustrating. Oh, it's it's terribly frustrating. I mean, I've been working in, in the AIDS field since the 80s, and we've been trying to get an HIV vaccine that, that shows any degree of activity. We haven't had success. Interestingly, and a little bit ironically, a lot of that technology, a lot of that know-how from the HIV work has really enabled us to have this success with this COVID vaccine. And I was one this time last year thinking to myself, there's no way this vaccine is going to work. I'm hopeful, but I'm not counting on it. When it came out as effective as it is, 95% efficacy, amazing safety profile, I I just couldn't believe it. I I called it a Christmas miracle in our lifetime. So if you were in charge of marketing for all COVID vaccines worldwide, how would you change the way they are being marketed. Uh, And I keep thinking back to, you know, when when uh, uh, we were all growing up, there was a time when a pair of jeans was considered the cheapest thing you could buy. And somehow we've managed through skilled marketing to convince people to shell out 300 bucks for a pair of jeans. How could we not 
take those same marketing skills and convince people to get something that's going to save their lives. Well, I guess we could put a Nike swoosh on it. Maybe that would work. <laughs> That's a but, good idea, you know, actually. <laughs> short of, short of some, something like that, um, I think we just have to get really just aggressive in our marketing at this point. It, the, the subtle, soft information stuff, I, I think, has only gone so far. And so our governor, to my delight and surprise, to yesterday and today has come out just aggressively saying, if you are unvaccinated, you are unwise. And if you, <laughs> you, yeah, you have a choice, but it's a really bad choice. So maybe some of the things like we did in the quote war on drugs, or this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs and showing a fried egg or something, <laughs> um, you know, maybe we could do something like that. I, I'm, I'm a wide open. To I, I like, I like, <laughs> doctor, I like your logo idea. I think the vaccines need a logo. Line up for sneakers. Yeah. Get your shot. Yeah. There you go. I, I like that. Dr. Michael Sag, infectious disease physician, HIV AIDS researcher, University of Alabama. Thanks. Coming up after this short break, we'll look into why black Americans are still more hesitant than others to get vaccinated. More and more black people are getting vaccinated across the U.S., but the rate is still much, much lower than whites and a little lower than Latinos. Here in L.A., the rate of black people dying and showing up in the hospital going up. What can be done to get more shots into arms? Curran Price, L.A. City Councilman, represents a district with a large black population. So, Councilman, how do we boost the rates? Well, you know, it takes really it takes a concerted effort. And you're right. You know, the black and brown communities that have been disproportionately impacted uh, at first by the uh, by the virus and now by this uh, variant, uh, the Delta variant. So what we've been doing a lot of things, uh, coordinating certainly with other organizations and other groups. But my office has a team of 25 canvassers. This is all from the community, uh, folks that are going door to door, making appointments uh, with the uh, My Turn L.A., uh, and informing neighbors of the alarming rates and how to best protect themselves. And so we're, we're finding that very, very effective, knocking on doors. Uh, we've certainly have uh, coordinating permanent vaccuate, vac- uh, vaccination sites uh, at, the, at the Wetlands Park. We're there Tuesday through Saturday. Uh, my district office uh, has certainly been targeting uh, the youth population in monthly events. Uh, Kedron and St. John's. Uh, to uh, institutions in our community, they have mobile units that are going out to, to, to residents. And so we are really trying to do the outreach in ways that we haven't before, telling the story, letting folks know uh, of the importance, and then providing that service if they're available where they are. Uh, so, so where you still meet resistance, what is the resistance? Well, frequently people just are, are not clear. They just don't know. You know, they've heard varying... Uh, uh, various information, uh, some contradictory, uh, but that's why we think it's effective when we go door to door, talking to neighbors, uh, bringing a message uh, from individuals who live in the area who are knowledgeable uh, and who can provide uh, resources. And so, you know, it certainly has required us to collaborate more more effectively with community-based organizations. And so, we work closely with the Coalition for Responsible Community Development (CD Tech). Uh, South Central United, uh, the Brotherhood Crusade, uh, just a sample of some of the groups that we're working with because it has to be on the ground. Yeah, I'm curious about the, the door-to-door and what reaction you get because you can see it going a couple of ways, right? Okay, I'll hear you out. That's the first way. That's what you hope. But then right. maybe the other is, okay, wow, they really want me to get, get this thing because they're here on my doorstep and now I'm even more suspicious. Well, you know, I, I, we, we think uh, 
the, the personal contact does mean uh, does mean a lot. It gives us a chance to engage uh, neighbors in a conversation. Uh, they want to know who the canvassers, where they're coming from, they're coming from the council office, what information they have, and we're able to leave information as well. So we're able to, to engage in a conversation that uh, ordinarily might not take place and providing the kind of information that's going to be very helpful uh, to the individuals uh, who are receiving it. Yeah, I'm also curious because we hear so much, you know, it's going to come down to the family doctor, the family pharmacist to reach people door to door, level to level, appointment to appointment. Um, but for people who don't have a doctor access to health care, this is where some more of this comes in, those community groups you talked about. Maybe it's my church that, that helps me. Well, exactly. In fact, we've been collaborating with a number of uh, churches uh, in the area. Uh, but, but the point is we have to make sure that uh, that these opportunities for information are extended. It can't just be for traditional business hours, nine to five. Uh, many times our uh, constituents are working many jobs, sometimes late at night. Uh, and so I'm going to be advocating for more extended hour locations, again, just to making sure that uh, these services are accessible. Current Price, L.A. City Councilman, the 9th District Councilman. Thanks. The CDC says vaccinated kids and teachers don't need to wear masks in school, but California thinks differently and will require masks anyway. Some parents are upset. Jonathan Zacherson, founder of Reopen California Schools, one of the groups suing the governor and the public health department. So, Jonathan, what are you looking for exactly? Uh, yeah, so our, uh, thank you for having me. Our, our lawsuit is to cover three uh, specific guidelines in the, the K-12 health guidelines that CDP, CDPH put out. Uh, one of those is close contact quarantines for healthy kids. Uh, the other is a routine asymptomatic testing to the extent that they're trying to push or force that. Uh, and the last one, which is kind of the big news uh, and what a lot of people talk about, is uh, the mask mandate. So this would, would be for all students, uh, and it would not be it wouldn't prevent students from wearing a mask, but it would allow mask choice uh, for families at schools. And why should they have mask choice? Well, yeah, so the state uh, has failed to uh, consider the harms in each of one of these guidelines and its uh, its implications on education. Uh, and, and meanwhile, uh, they haven't really considered the data that's out there that has shown these particular procedures to, to be, by and large, ineffective at preventing spread at COVID. And it also ignores uh, you know, conditions on the ground in, in given communities wait, uh, where wait, vaccination uh, yeah, rates on. may differ. Okay, I, but, I feel like masks are super per, per yeah, effective at stopping the right. spread of COVID. You're, you're not making the argument that masks don't stop the spread, are you? We're saying that that a mask mandate, that the data that's out there, mask mandates at, at schools, uh, is very mixed and for the, by and large has not shown to reduce the spread in a, in a school setting and a mask mandate setting. That's is this one of those is. studies that says that it's usually a, a parent or a teacher who brings it onto campus and the kids mixing is fine because kids get it less or, or where is that coming from? Yeah, so a lot of that is well, it's looking at data from uh, Europe, looking at data from within the United States uh, in areas that don't have mask mandates. And, and, uh, and so that's that's primary where it's coming from. And like I said, the state hasn't provided uh, that data uh, to us or to the public uh, uh, for that in schools. Uh, they're really going off of judgment. And they've even said that this is a political decision where uh, they're trying to move these conversations away from uh, local school districts uh, and then really just put the pressure on themselves. Because like you said, we have conflicting guidance. The CDC says one thing. Uh, CDPH is saying another. The World Health Organization is saying another. Uh, and you have different you know, uh, uh, health agencies across the United States and Europe uh, saying all different things. Um, you know, some are saying everybody should be masked and others are saying we shouldn't mask kids at all. 
Well, um, so the focus is on kids, not on the adults. Just uh, okay, but but I, I guess I'm still trying to figure out. So what is there's potential harm uh, because all the studies, even the ones that you cite, are not all consistent. There's potential possibility that some uh, school age child could transmit a virus, uh, the coronavirus, to either other children who may or may not get particularly ill, but may pass it on to an adult who might. Uh, whereas there is almost no chance that they will if they are masked and the teachers are masked. So if you have a no, that's not that's not true. That's not true. What's not true? Um, there's risk. There's risk um, in both scenarios. And well, and, there's always uh, there's no such thing as zero risk. But 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 let's go back to because it seems like you're making the argument that that the science is doubtful about the protective effects of masks, and that's not the case. Uh, the protective effects of masks in schools, and that is the case. I think uh, no, there are plenty. Of, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're totally wrong. There are schools all over the world that have reported cases, in fact, uh, epidemics within schools of children, and many of those schools in Israel and in Southeast Asia, and I can tick off a lot of other countries if you want, where they've had the spread. So you're wrong. So go on. Um, well, we'll respectfully disagree with that. We don't. Neither one of us are presenting. No, you can't uh, the disagree data, with the studies on the radio here. Yeah, we but, can't but let's go to the, the harm. Go right? ahead. Go ahead. So we also have to recognize that it does impede uh, on a child's education. And this this risk benefit analysis uh, between uh, you know, let's assume for a moment that that they are mod- modestly uh, effect- effective. Um, we're not considering a couple of things. We're not considering the harm of wearing them in the decision making. What, what's the harm? How does it how does it Im- impede? Because if, let's say masks are the way to get everybody back into class, which is what we want. Right. Because not every kid can get vaccinated. Okay, I agree. Yet. I agree. So if the best way maybe to protect everybody, even the under 12 set is to wear masks, that gets them back in school, which is a whole lot better than them sitting at home. So the harm is is where. No. Yeah. So the harm is it's impeding their education, especially with the younger kids and with uh, English as a second language. Right. You have to paying attention to facial cues, looking at how uh, you say how the mouth moves when you say words and trying to teach reading. We're hearing this from teachers. Uh, so it does impede and educate impede their education for a quality education at school. Uh, so there is there is a negative impact to it just beyond the fact that it is um, incredibly uncomfortable uh, for them to wear. But so there is an impact on education. And I think we can all, you know, it's pretty definitive that uh, if you're being quarantined, even though you're healthy, uh, that you are missing out on school in those scenarios. That's uh, Jonathan Zacherson, founder of Reopen California Schools, one of the groups suing the governor and uh, the California Public Health Department over the masks. If COVID-19 is not enough to worry about, the CDC says there's now a super fungus. Wow. (laughs) I'm going home. Yeah. (laughs) This is enough. Well, it's spreading among patients in hospitals and long-term care facilities in Texas and Washington, D.C. Now, this particular fungus preys on people with weakened immune systems, The CDC says evidence suggests these cases involved person-to-person transmission, which would be a first for the U.S. The 30-day mortality in both outbreaks combined was 30 percent, although other health conditions may have also played a role. Now, the fungus is resistant to antifungal drugs. People who have been in the hospital a long time or who have breathing tubes or feeding tubes appear to be at highest risk. You can find this Odyssey original and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.